shall continue the series through the book of Ephesians. Uh, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read the chapter, then make a prayer, then we shall consider verse 30. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom 
you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come asking for much grace as we consider your word. We acknowledge indeed that apart from your spirit guiding us, teaching us, quickening us, stirring us, we cannot understand your word. We pray that you may breathe on us your breath, that we might do the things that pleases you, that we may hear of your oracles, that you may speak to us indeed. We may be keen to hear your voice this morning. Help me to be faithful in the handling of your word, that I may speak only that which is good, that which is that which is good for building up, that which is fitting for the occasion, that which may give grace to those who hear. Pray, Lord, that you may strengthen us, strengthen our inner man, that uh, we may be pleasing and honoring to you this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come this morning to what is a monumental statement in the Word of God. It is a statement that makes it clear that Christianity is not uh, Christianity is not a religion of morality or legalism. We come to verse thirty of chapter four, the book of Ephesians. It reads, "And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." This is a defining statement about our conversion, our salvation, our sanctification our glorification. Paul has been giving instructions to us on how we ought to live as Christians. And we've been seeing these directives from verse 25. He commands us in verse 25 to put away falsehood, to speak the truth. He commands us in verse 26 to put away every kind of unrighteous anger and to embrace righteous anger. He commands us in verse 28 to stop stealing rather to work hard so that we can be generous. He commands us in verse 29 to put aside every kind of corrupt talk, every kind of filthy talk, but to only speech, only speak that which is good for building up as fitting to the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. The sermon this morning is titled Grieving the Holy Spirit grieving the Holy Spirit. And we shall have two points. The first one is a directive we see from verse, the beginning of verse 30 and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The first point is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's the counsel, that's the instruction given there. And the second point has to do with the motive or the reason. Why should we not grieve the Holy Spirit? Paul the Apostle gives us the reason. The second point is the Holy Spirit seals for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit seals for the day of redemption. Notice first of all that it is a command. It is a present imperative. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 
most of us, if not all, have gone through grief. And we know what it means to be shaken to the depth of our heart. It is not a pleasant experience. It's not something that we look forward to go through again. And almost certain that the grief that we go through in our lives has to do with the kind of relationship we had with the person we lost. It could be a wife, a husband, a child, a parent, a sibling, a co-worker, a close relative. It's true, the closer you are to a person, the greater commitment you are to a person, the greater grief you will feel when they die. Paul is warning us here in this passage that we have a capacity to cause grief to someone, to a person, to God, God the Holy Spirit. And this causing has to do with willfully causing it. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit to imply that we can willfully grieve the Holy Spirit. All of us know the pain of losing a loved one. Let me ask you, if you understand the pain of grief, will you inflict such pain on someone else? If you really love someone, will you inflict grief and sorrow upon them. This kind of grief Paul is implying here does not happen by accident. This is a grief that is willfully inflicted on the Holy Spirit. This is precisely what we do to the Holy Spirit when we sin against him. When you think about it, this should be a powerful motive for us not to sin. And so this is the thrust of our passage this morning. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's the first point. That is the counsel that is given. And from the onset, you notice here that the Holy Spirit is a person. You ought not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He's not a force or a wind or an influence or some kind of energy. Because you cannot offend a force. You cannot offend an energy, isn't it? The Jehovah Witnesses and other cults will teach you that the Holy Spirit is a mere influence. They will undermine his personality and say that the Holy Spirit is a kind of a force or energy from God. That entirely perverts the teaching of the scripture. The Holy Spirit is a person. The third person of the Godhead. And so we are not dealing here with a mere power or influence. We are dealing with a person with a capacity of an emotion, with a capacity to be grieved. Do you practically live as if the Holy Spirit is present in your life? Do you live your life every day with the awareness that the Holy Spirit indwells you? He is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. He has personal attributes. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit has intellectual attribute. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He has intellectual capacity. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has feelings. That he can be wounded, he can be hurt, he can be grieved. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit searches. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit speaks. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, I'll read. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit speaks. So the Holy Spirit said those very words. The Holy Spirit bears witness. He testifies. Jesus says in John 15 verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will... And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will come to tell you about who the Son of God is. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit convicts. In John chapter 16, verse 7, says, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict you. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts lost men when they come to Jesus Christ. We are born again. The Spirit of God raises that conviction about our sin. And even after we are born again, the Holy Spirit who indwells us continues to convict us and to convince us of our sins. Jesus says here, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because Jesus Christ in human flesh was only confined in one place while here on earth. But in, when, he ascended, when he ascended on high, when he ascended to his Father, the Holy Spirit came. And it indwells every believer. So Christ dwells in the heart of every, every believer, isn't it? Because it's called the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. So the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit regenerates. He's the author of the new birth. In your natural self, you do not have spiritual eyes, spiritual ears. You do not have the capacity to respond to the Word of God in obedience. The Holy Spirit had to do a work in you before you can respond to God's truth. Before you, you, you obeyed the command to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerated you so that you received the word of God. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual birth that can only be given by the Spirit of God. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us on behalf of God's people. Romans 8.26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know 
what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truths. John 16 verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Do you realize that every time we understand the word of God, it is through the teaching ministry of the Spirit of God. Whenever the word of God is applied to our heart, to our mind, it is the Holy Spirit illuminating you. It is, it is the Holy Spirit giving you revelation. He's the one teaching the people of God. He's the true teacher. John chapter 16, verse 13 to 14, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, He will glorify me, and sorry, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is the one who opens doors of ministry. You read in Acts chapter 16 verse 6 about the apostles and, and they went through the region of, or, of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go, through, uh, to go into Bithynia but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The Holy Spirit guides us into service for the Lord. The Holy Spirit can be tested. In Acts chapter 5 verse 9, we read the example in the early church, but Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold the feet of those who have been buried, sorry, who have buried your husband, are at the door and they will carry you out. In Acts chapter 5 verse 3, the Holy Spirit can be lied to. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the process of the land. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be resisted. But today you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit but resist it. And lost men and women resist the Holy Spirit. Obviously we know that effectual call is irresistible but there is an aspect in which sinners resist the Holy Spirit. Uh, Spirit, uh, Stephen says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. In, uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, the Holy Spirit, brethren, can be insulted. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, the Bible says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. He has insulted the spirit of grace. The spirit of Christ, brethren, can be blasphemed. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And lastly, the Spirit of God can be quenched. 
in First Thessalonians 5:19 gives us the, the picture of a, yeah, of quenching the flame. The Holy Spirit makes us to uh, makes us to know that He is grieved by withdrawing itself from us, so that you lose your joy for the Lord, you lose your power for the Lord, you lose the grace of God. He continues to indwell you as a Christian because his indwelling is permanent. But he's quenched, he's wounded, he's hurt. He's grieved, as you'll see this, this, this morning. So that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's very clear from those passages. He's not a force. He lives in us. And we ought to live every day of our life in awareness of his presence. You ask yourself this morning, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? And I answer to you, notice that the emphasis is on the word holy. Simply put, everything that is unholy grieves the Holy Spirit. It can be your attitude, your words, your deeds, your thoughts, your actions, your motive, Everything that is not pure grieves the Holy Spirit. It's also grieved when we do not acknowledge that He is there. When you live your life as a Christian as if the Holy Spirit does not indwell you, He is grieved. Can you imagine if we invited you to our home and uh, we did not acknowledge that you are there? We do not acknowledge that you are present, so that we do not serve you any food. We do not care about um, uh, about your hospitality. How will you feel? You'll feel insulted, isn't it? You'll feel dishonored. Or if you came to our house and 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 our child was mocking you, disturbing you. You will not have peace. How will you feel? You'll feel uncomfortable, isn't it? You'll want to get out of it, get out of our house. How much more, brethren, should we take care of a special guest? A special guest who dwells inside of us. He has taken our presence in our heart so that we don't offend him. In any way, when you have a special guest in your home, you'll do everything possible to make them comfortable. If you have a special guest in your heart, you'll do everything possible for them to be comfortable. Because that's a mark of honor. That's a mark of respect to them. I should also mention that in the context of this uh, verse, that there are these scenes that are mentioned from verse 25 to 31, that in this context, they grieve the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Falsehood, not speaking the truth, sinful anger grieves the Holy Spirit, stealing grieves the Holy Spirit, corrupting talk grieves the Holy Spirit, bitterness, verse 31, Wrath, anger, clamor, and slander, all those and malice, they grieve the Holy Spirit. 
character. So when you have the spirit of God living inside of you, you want to do things that glorify him. You want to yield to him. You want to be controlled by him. You want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And he gives you the desire to do that which is pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit, brethren, is God's seal. He is God's pledge. He is God's promise. He is the first test of God God will give us when we get to heaven. And so we are commanded there, do not, do not do anything that grieves the Holy Spirit. Don't live like unsaved people. We've already been told, isn't it, verse 17. You must, you, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. We are not to lie, we are not to have sinful anger, not bad language, not immoral life. Because those are things that grieve the Holy Spirit. The whole purpose of God in our salvation is to deliver us from sin. But when we willfully sin, willfully give in to sin, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. This word is the same word that is used in Matthew chapter 26 verse 37. When Jesus says that he was very sorrowful, even to death. Remember that passage when Jesus Christ is very sorrowful to the point that he is bleeding blood from his face? That is the same word here. That's, that's what we do to the Holy Spirit when we grieve him. When our Savior was approaching the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sorrowful. He was distressed. That's the same kind of experience the Holy Spirit feels when we grieve him. He is stricken. He is, grief, he is grieved. Jesus Christ, our Savior, was going to die on the cross. He was going to bear our sins on the cross. Even though he had not committed any sin, he was going to become sin for us on the cross. And why was he grieved? Why was Jesus Christ sorrowful because he was going to come to close proximity with sin isn't it our sin was going to be laid on him and was going to face the wrath of god christ was going to agonize die on that tree suffer the consequences of our sin and so if the spirit of god indwells you you are not to participate in sin. Think for a moment. Someone that you love, someone that you have an intimate relationship with. Will you inflict the deepest kind of grief known to man? Absolutely not. But this is what we do to the Holy Spirit when we willfully give in to sin. And this brethren should motivate us not to sin against God. When you sin against God, you're defiling Him. The Holy Spirit inside of you has to stand there and be defiled and, and, and smell that filthy smell of your sin. Notice also that when we willfully sin, that we are contradicting the very work of the Holy Spirit in us. The work of the Holy Spirit in us is to provide holiness. When we sin, we are contradicting and pulling down the work that He comes to do in us. How will you feel 
as a man, if you're building your house, you lay the foundation, and someone comes and pulls it down. How will you feel as a wife, as a, as a woman, as a lady? You clean your house, you've, you've left your house clean this morning. You get in the evening, someone has smeared mud all over the wall. Your, your house is disarranged, everything is upside down. How will you feel? You feel you want to get out of that place. You feel you, you don't want to stay there, isn't it? We should not grieve the Holy Spirit because He can withdraw His grace towards us. He can withdraw His, his sense of presence, His sense of comfort. He can let us feel the test, the full effect of where our lead can, where our sin can lead us. So you are contradicting the work of the Holy Spirit if you willfully um, sin. You're not depending on his power to overcome it. The Holy Spirit can withdraw his manifestation of comfort and power. He can withdraw his cooperation, his work of making you clean. The Holy Spirit is sinless. He is God. And we should not grieve him. We should not try to tear down the work that he's doing in us by sinning. And so having considered the counsel there, I want you to consider the reason. What motive is given? Why should we not grieve the Holy Spirit? We are told in verse, uh, at the end of verse 30, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Why should you not grieve the Holy Spirit? A number of reasons I've already alluded to, but one of the reasons here is it is the seal of redemption. That's the first thing. Is the seal of redemption. Is the seal of our redemption. What does it mean? Look at Ephesians chapter one verse thirteen. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The seal here conveys three concepts. The first one has to do with authentication. When something is authentic, we mean that it is real, it is genuine. It's not counterfeit, it's not fake. When the king, back in the day, sent a letter, it came with a seal. So that the recipient of the letter will know that the letter is genuine. It has not been tampered with. The seal of the Holy Spirit means that that seal separates true believers from those who are not true believers. Having the Spirit of God in you is a stamp of authority. It's a stamp of authentication that you're a child of God, that you belong to Him. So the first concept that has to do with the seal has to do with authentication. Then secondly, it has to do with ownership. It has to do with ownership. A seal was also a mark of ownership. 
when God gives us the Holy Spirit, that is the stamp that he owns us, that we belong to him. We are saying we are his property, that we belong to him. We are his children. And then thirdly, the third concept has to do with security. A seal is also a mark of a finished transaction. When people engage in a business, when everything is settled and sealed and agreed, it is marked by a seal. Remember, uh, the Pharisees, they sought to seal the tomb of Jesus Christ. They thought that the body of Christ would not be stolen. But when God seals something, that seal lasts throughout eternity. So that you're sealed until the day of redemption. This seal is a stamp of authority which keeps you until the day you shall go to heaven with, and be with the Lord. And so, by giving you the seal, the Spirit of God is saying, you're truly my child. You belong to me. And so Paul is urging us here, warning us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because it's the seal. Notice that the motivation here is not one of fear. Paul is not saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will permanently leave you. The motivation for you to, uh, to, 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 to obey God and to keep his law is out of love. Notice here that do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he will never leave you. He is the seal. He'll never abandon you. In your sin, by way, he may, he may allow you to be chastised, but he'll never depart from you. And so the reason is one of love and not one of fear. The reason is one that we should be thankful and gratitude about, and be gratitude and be thankful about. And we should be thankful that the Holy Spirit is a seal. It's a mark of authentication to us. It means that He has claimed ownership of us. He has given this security to us. That should be the motivation for you not to grieve the Holy Spirit. People can easily offend people who are not close to them. People they hardly know. But can you imagine to offend someone who is very close to you, who is totally committed to you, to offend someone who will never leave you, who loves you, who wants the best for you. Is that not, we do? Is that not what we do when we grieve the Holy Spirit? Isn't it true that the closer you are to a person, the greater potential to hurt them? You can hurt your spouse more deeply, far greater than you can hurt your neighbor, isn't it? That's because you have a close relationship. Imagine you have a closer relationship with the Holy Spirit than anyone else in this world. Therefore, you should not even hurt him, isn't it? He's the most intimate person. Yet, we have the great potential to inflict grief upon him. The Holy Spirit has awakened us, brethren, from our sin, from the danger of hell. 
He has opened our eyes to the truth. He has taught us his truth. He has renewed our heart. He has given us a new heart. He has given us the gift of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has condescended to dwell within us, to, de- to dwell with creatures of dust like us. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ was humbled to take up human body and to do the will of God perfectly? How much more is the Spirit of God humbled to come from heaven to come to dwell in the hearts of sinful men like us? Is that not humility, brethren? That is constantly grieved by us, yet he does, he does not abandon us, isn't it? He does not leave us. Think about all the things that the Holy Spirit has done for you and how much we can humiliate him because of our sin. How can you sin against someone who loves you so much? Someone who is preserving your salvation. Someone that Someone who is sanctifying you. And we constantly sin against him. And so the motivation here, brethren, is not one of fear, it's one of love. Love should be the motivating factor for us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, is the seal, and then secondly, the hope of the day of redemption. In that second point, is the hope of the day of redemption. There is a coming day, in which those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit will be completely delivered from all their sins. This is called the day of redemption. It's a day when we'll be delivered from all kinds of, of sins. This is not a possibility, brethren. When we say Christ will return, we are not guessing, we are not speculating, we are not assuming. This is a day of absolute certainty, a day for the child of God be taken up to heaven to be with his father the Holy Spirit lives for that day for the day of redemption he lives for that hope it's a day that gives us hope it's a day that gives us motivation a day when we see our God face to face a day when sin will be defeated the devil will be vanquished 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will, sorry, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is. The day of redemption is coming when we will be just like Jesus Christ, sinless, holy, and righteous, though not perfectly like him. And the, and the Bible says here that the one who has this hope of redemption purifies himself. And so, brethren, as I conclude, why should you not grieve the Holy Spirit? Because it is incompatible to who I am as a Christian. It is incompatible with the direction in which I ought to walk as a Christian. 
it is incompatible with my destiny. There's a coming day of redemption for the Christian. Don't give up the battle because victory has already been won in Jesus Christ. And this is what makes Christians unique, isn't it? Because there are only two groups of people in the human race. Those who know the Lord, Jesus Christ, and those who do not know him. This knowledge is experiential. He has forgiven you. He has reconciled you back to God. God has tabernacled in you. You're the temple of God. He has come to live in you. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that indwells you. He has given you life. The presence of God is with you. He works in you. He sanctifies you. And therefore, you can put aside every deed of the flesh, every kind of sin. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Do you realize that Jesus Christ is in you? How are you able to examine yourself? Second Corinthians says, you examine yourself by gauging whether Jesus Christ is in you. Does he live in you? Does he indwell you? Is there the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you? Everyone who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit living in them. And you know that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you through the testimony in Scripture, but also through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that Christianity is not a system of morality. This is not about legalism. Jesus Christ did not come to show good people how to live better. He did not come to improve their lives. He came to save sinners through his death and resurrection. He, make, he came to make a new creation. So this is not a system of morality. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's only the Christianity that tells you, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? No other religion says that. If you're a child of God, God has come to dwell in you. And you're warned not to hurt him with your sin. If you're not a sinner, if you're not, if you're not a believer, if you've not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no moral capacity to respond to biblical truth. We can preach to you the Lord Jesus Christ all day long, all the rest of your life. You can come to church every Sunday unless the Holy Spirit quickens you you cannot be saved because you are born spiritually blind you are born spiritually dead spiritually ignorant verse 17 says verse 18 says you are darkened in your understanding you are alienated from the life of God you are ignorant due to the hardness of your heart you have become callous you have given up yourself to all sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity as the heart of the unregenerate. At the moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God came and dwelt in you. And you can trust upon Jesus Christ to forgive you all your sins. You can trust upon his perfect righteousness. 
that that can be counted on your account. That when the Lord Jesus Christ sees you, he will see you as righteous because you have clothed in his righteousness. The Holy Spirit can give you a new birth, a new nature. He can come to live inside of you. Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So brethren, does Jesus Christ live in you? Can you say truly that the Spirit of God lives in me? Have you trusted Jesus Christ with a genuine faith? Have you known the Lord Jesus as the one who comes to save? I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about reading your Bible. I'm not talking about doing good things. Christianity is not mechanical. It is a relationship. It's a relationship with God. And I come to church every Sunday because I love the Lord. Because there's nothing more I can do to be saved, isn't it? There's nothing more I can do to win His, his favor. Everything has been done by Christ and I've put my faith in Him. So this Bible is not a rule book. These instructions here are not um, a logbook by which you ought to live and then t- uh, attain uh, salvation. These commandments are there because your heart has been changed and you're able to respond in obedience to them. And the close, the Christian should be the most joyful person. How can you as a Christian be selfish, be sad, be angry? How can you as a Christian quench the work of the Holy Spirit? Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There should be joy in the heart of a Christian. Because you experience the power of God. You experience the peace of God, the freedom of God. You live your Christian life without, without your own strength and ability. You're depending on God. May you know his presence in times of discouragement. May you know his strength in times of weakness and fatigue. May you know the Lord Jesus Christ. May he strengthen you by his spirit. May he help you not to grieve him, not to quench him, not to wound him, not to hurt him. And may we all repent of all our sins. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you may forgive us. Forgive us for the times that we have grieve the Holy Spirit. Help us to put away all kinds of sins. Help us to walk in righteousness. To imitate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has wrought us salvation. Help us Lord in such a way that we, we will know we have been helped. This we pray in Jesus name. Amen.